Welcome to the Bay Area Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to make passionate, maturing followers of Jesus from here to the nations. We hope you will be changed by this message and invite you to visit us in the greater Annapolis area. If you would like to learn more about our church and ministries, please visit our website at bayareacc.org. Good morning, Bay Area family. If we haven't met yet, I am Alan Smith, one of your pastors of the missional communities here. I want to give a warm welcome to anyone tuning online from Easton, from Odenton, or anywhere else. If you would, just type in where you're tuning in from today, and we'll, that'd be great to, uh, to have you with us today. And happy Labor Day to you, everybody. I hope you have plans tomorrow. If not, just can sleep in, enjoy that day. And school starts for a lot of folks on Tuesday. I know you're eagerly, it kind of sort of starts, kind of, right? It's starting, but it is. But we thank you all teachers and administrators and all the, those students. Uh, today, we are starting a new sermon series. And it's historically been introduced by our lead pastor, Greg St. Cyr. And he has entrusted me to kick it off. And so it's my high honor to kick off this new sermon series through the letter or the book of Galatians entitled Set Free. And it is our hope that you would truly be set free in the gospel of Jesus Christ to live as your true selves in him. Now, I was telling Greg earlier, I, I, this is one of those really rare sermons for me in that I have been thinking and praying about this message for over a year even before I had this assignment. And so God has sent me here in a very unique time. Greg typically does this, but I am really excited to introduce and frame out this incredible letter that God has given to his church. And let me tell you one of the reasons why is because God has used this letter to awaken his church over and over again there was a German reformer by the name of Martin Luther. You may have heard of him. And this book got a hold of him and he rediscovered the gospel and it lit a spark in him. And God used this man to start the Protestant Reformation. 200 years after him, over 200 years, there was another man by the name of John Wesley. And he went into a prayer meeting. I said this incorrectly last time, but I got my facts straight. He was he was, went into a prayer meeting and someone was reading from the preface of Martin Luther's commentary. <laughs> imagine, imagine going to a prayer meeting, someone reading the preface to a commentary. And as he was listening to Martin Luther's preface, he said his heart was strangely warmed and he was awakened to this gospel. And God used this man and others to bring about what we now call the great awakening in England and Europe and also in our part of the world. And so when this book is preached, God is up to something big. And, and when a lot of hearts are on flame, on fire like Wesley's, that is often called revival. And let me just give you what, an explanation of revival here on the screen. Uh, we prayed through it during our prayer time. And this comes from Richard Lovelace in his classic book, Dynamics of a Spiritual Life. It says this, Revival is not a special season of extraordinary religious excitement. Rather, 
It is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit which restores the people of God to the normal spiritual life after a period of corporate declension or a period of decline. We can all agree that we've been in decline for a long time in the United States of America and in the West. And then it says this, every major advance of the kingdom of God on earth is signaled and brought about by the general outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So Bay Area, do you want to be an advancing church? Do you want to see the gospel advance in our area? Maybe online you can give me some characteristics of what an advancing church looks like or what do you think an advancing church, who it is and what it does. But let me tell you this. To begin to be an advancing church, it all begins with the rediscovery of this gospel. And let's, with that said, let's now pray and let's ask God for that, that awakening. So, Father, we, we can't make revival happen, but we can ask you. So, Father, we pray that you would awaken us like you did Luther and Wesley to the, the good news of Jesus Christ, that it would become good news to us again. So, Father, help us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so... I've been thinking about how to introduce this, and I've been thinking of like all the different ways I can do this, and this is the best way I've got. Okay, so imagine, now imagine with me, that you are adopting a young girl from China. She's eight years old. She's lovely. Her name is Lee, and she has never been to the United States of America, and your family is ecstatic that she's coming to your house. And so on the day of her arrival, you're all excited, but she's a little stunned. She puts her only bag onto her bed and she looks her in her private room, all the new clothes that you brought, bought for her and her new toys for an eight-year-old kid. And she remembers what it was like to be in the orphanage and accidentally break things. So she doesn't touch anything. She also remembers what it was like to go hungry. And so she doesn't, at, at mealtime, she begins to secretly stuff her pockets with food. And that night, she goes into her room by herself, never have slept the night by herself, and she cries herself to sleep. And in the middle of the night, to make herself feel more comfortable, she goes into the living room and sleeps there. And that's where you find her. And you're like, but she's my daughter. Okay. Now, fast forward with me one year, okay? There's been a thunderstorm and you wake up and in your bed, you find Lee. She's in the bed with you and she's snuggled up next to you. She wakes up for a brief moment. She connects in your eyes and she looks at you and she says, I love you. And then she goes back to sleep and the thought goes to your head, finally, Lee is acting like my daughter. You see, just because Lee got a new identity, it took her time receiving the love of her parents to act and feel like a true daughter. Now, fast forward about a decade or so. Lee is now getting ready to go to college. Some of you have kids who are about to go to college. Some of you had kids who just recently went to college. So you can know what this is like. So Lee, <clears throat> so you went away before Lee goes to college on an anniversary trip. Just you and your wife, you and your spouse. You come back to a home and the home is clean. 
from top to bottom. It's so clean. Lee has done all this cleaning. And then you come sit down and Lee brings out your favorite dish. And as you sit down to eat with Lee, you're like, what are you doing? This is amazing, but you never do this. Like, when's the last time you cleaned the house? And she's like, oh, when you were away, I was thinking to myself, like, it's been so good to be a part of your family, but I don't know if I'm worthy to come back in after I go to college. So I'm doing all this just to show you that I'm worthy to be in your house, to be in your family. And I got nervous when I went looking for my birth certificate and I couldn't find it. So I actually made a homemade birth certificate. And so she slides this birth certificate over to you on the table. How do you feel? How do you feel when you look at this homemade birth certificate? Welcome to the book of Galatians. Paul is astonished at what's going on in, this, in these churches of Galatia. And so the apostle Paul is just as astonished as his parents were with Lee. Now, just a quick historical background. Paul has just returned from the church's first ever short-term missionary trip to this area that you'll see. And on the map, you see that his route that he took on his first missionary journey. And there you see at the very top, there's a region called Galatia. And there he preached the gospel and planted churches in those cities. He is just, he had to leave early because of some Jewish persecution. And in his absence, other missionaries, other people were sent to those churches and they were troubling them. And they were, historians call these troubler, troublemakers the Judaizers today. It's not a word in, in the text itself. But these Judaizers were saying things like this. They were adding things that Paul didn't mention. They were saying, yes, yes, believe in Jesus is the Messiah. But you also need to listen to Moses and follow his commands as well. If you want to have full access, they may have said, if you want to have full access into the covenant community, you also need to receive the right, the ceremony of circumcision. So Paul summarizes their message in, in Acts 15 at the beginning of the Jerusalem council. And this is what Paul says about the Judaizers. He says this, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. That's not what Paul preached. So Paul sat down, wrote a letter to these churches to defend the gospel. So let's now turn to Galatians 1 and hear the, verse, the first verses of what Paul says to these churches. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches in Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever, amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him whom called you in his grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there's another one, 
but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But indeed, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And as we have said before, so I say to you again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or God? <clears throat> am I trying to please man? And if I was still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, <clears throat> these are some of the most stern words in the New Testament. We don't see anywhere else in the, in the New Testament where someone is calling someone accursed twice for preaching a false gospel or following a false gospel. <clears throat> Not to be careful here because Paul is disturbed. He's very disturbed, but he's not disturbed like many of your fathers might have been disturbed or one of your mothers have been disturbed. We grow up in a time when so, there's so many broken homes that we don't, when we hear anger, we don't feel love at the same time. But Paul had love in his heart for these Galatian churches. And so in his love, he says, enough, <laughs> enough with the false gospel, enough because Jesus is enough and in him, you are enough. That's my outline. Enough with the false gospel because Jesus is enough and in him, you are enough. So let's look at the first point here, enough with the false gospel. So kids, why don't you draw someone who looks astonished? Some kids showed me their pictures last time. You can get out your phones if you don't paper. You can do it online. I would love for you to send it to the church and show me your pictures later. <clears throat> Paul here is astonished. He later says in the book that he is perplexed. He's confused. And he, then he says these words in chapter 3. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It's like a spell has been cast over this church. He's like, you received the gospel so joyfully, so freely. You even at one point would give out your eyes, Paul says. But now you're turning away. What's going on? Something has happened. The issue is this, is that they stopped believing that Jesus was enough. And they started adding things to the gospel as if it needed anything. They started adding circumcision and other things. And any time we add to the apostolic gospel that we find in the New Testament, it's called legalism. And that's the problem of the Galatian churches. They were following a legalistic spirit. They were following legalism. And legalism says, and looks at Jesus and says, you're not enough. I believe in you, but you're, you're not enough for me. Here's the big idea. The moment we turn away from the heart of God, we begin is the moment we begin to work for the heart of God. Let me explain that a little bit more. The moment we turn away from the heart of God in the person and work of Jesus Christ is the moment we begin to work for the heart of God to earn something to prove that we are worthy sons and daughters that need to be in the house. It's like sliding a homemade birth certificate to Jesus. So 
Notice what Paul again says in verse 6. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. So, and he says, turning to a different gospel. So turning away from the gospel is turning away from Jesus personally. It's not just affirming some different doctrine. It's turning away from Jesus himself. He takes it personally because he personally died for you, rose for you, has ascended for you. And he's saying, is that not enough for you? And the word he uses here is a military word of deserting. The idea here is, is that a soldier was on this side of the battle and in, mid, in the middle of the battle, he switched sides. He goes to this side of the battle. And that is called a traitor. It's like you have been tra- traitorous to Jesus here. You're switching sides. And Dan Ortland puts legalism this way. He says it this way. Legalism is the subtle proclivity of leveraging Christ's favor with our behavior. We're trying to earn something with, with Christ's favor with our behavior. And this is the default mode of our flesh. This is who we wake up in the morning if we're not walking in the spirit. And sometimes if we want to trace the root down to what is the problem here, sometimes we'll go to these tools that the world has given us that may be helpful at times of time, like the Myers-Briggs typology or some number on the Enneagram that shows you your shadow. As helpful as those may be, Paul says the root is a false gospel. The root of it all is a false gospel. And every false gospel says that Jesus is not enough. Now, there are two different types of legalists, at least. They kind of give you some help. Like, what kind of, what are you talking about? The, the first one we probably already know. The first one I call a hard legalist. And a hard legalist seeks to attain God's favor with our, with our behavior. That's, you've heard people probably say, they're trying to earn their salvation by their works. That's a hard legalist. But there's also a soft legalist. And a soft legalist believes this. They seek to retain and keep God's favor with their behavior. This is how they act. They, they say, oh, I, look at me. I have read the Bible for a month straight now. And I've been reading every day. And so I am really doing good. But on the, all those ones, let's say they go through a whole week and they forgot to read maybe several days or maybe the whole week. And maybe they really haven't prayed very in a disciplined way all week long. Then they start subtly thinking that God's not happy with them. They start thinking that they've somehow lost favor with God. And, they, and sometimes it works this way out. It's like you have an opportunity to present the gospel. You're like, I don't know if I'm worthy to present the gospel right now because I haven't been reading my Bible and been praying. Now, the, reading the Bible and praying are very, very important to getting to the heart of Jesus. But they don't win favor with the Father. And so Satan continues to bewitch us. He doesn't care if we're soft legalist or hard legalist, as long as we say Jesus is not enough. Because when we say Jesus is not enough, we start to believe that we are not enough in him. And that is language of shame. We'll start to feel ashamed of ourselves. And that is not what God wants for you. To respond to that, 
Jerry Bridges, years ago, he said this. This is gospel truth here. Our worst days are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. And your best days are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace. You have God's grace in your highs and lows. When he, he didn't choose you in your highs and when you were low, that he was going to reject you. His grace is there for you. Now, the legalism was the main problem of Galatia. Now, there are other false gospels out there other than legalism. And unfortunately, America has been in the business of exporting a lot of these false gospels. But the one we're looking at is legalism, and they all have this in common. They all turn away from the heart of God, and they try to work for the heart of God. And Paul says, and this, he says that that is not the gospel because that is no good news. Euangelion does not mean advice, as Tim Keller says. It's not good advice that you have to follow. You can add to it and then get good with God to leverage him some way. It's good news. And good news, it makes you excited. It makes you happy. It brings peace. That's what the gospel is. It's good news about the heart of God towards you. And did you know that God's heart is not just for the bad people, but also for the good people? It's not just for the, the one who's run away, but it's the one who stayed and has done his duty or her duty. He loves you too, legalists. He loves you too. His heart is for all of them. His heart is full of love. We, our problem is that we're so trained by our world that we have no idea how big and amazing is the heart of God towards you. And that is what the Galatians have been turning away from. Now, let me say a word to the skeptic. If we have any skeptics here that are not yet a follower of Jesus, thank you for staying so long, especially if you're online. Thank you for staying with me. But let me just ask you a question. Is it possible that the very thing you hate about the church, God hates too? That God hates legalism? And maybe what you see in the church is not true followers of Jesus, but a legalistic spirit? And that always produces hypocrites, phonies, and very prideful yet insecure people all at the same time. That's not the real thing. Jesus, he's the real thing, and his gospel is enough. And that's the second point. Jesus is enough, and that is good news to us. Paul describes the heart of God in one word. This is Paul's favorite word to describe the heart of God, and the word is grace. He starts Galatians in verse 3 with grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he ends the very last verse. He says, grace to our Lord Jesus Christ. Be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. And that's how he finishes. From beginning to end, it's all about God's grace. Over a hundred times as Paul used this word in his letters. And God's grace is simply this. It's God's free, undeserved, un earned favor. It's this favor that we find fully in Jesus Christ. 
That is his grace. And that is his expression of his heart. And it's his expression of his love for us. Now, the rest of the gospel, uh, the, the, the rest of the letter of Galatians, he impacts this. So we're not going to get into justification today or uh, redemption, adoption, and all those different things. That's for Greg and other pastors in the future to, to, to treat. But Paul is so in love with God and so saturated in this gospel that he has to say something about the gospel in his greeting. So look at verse 4 again. He, he can't contain himself. Before he gets to the, the letter, he says, Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul is just very simple words. He's saying Jesus, he gave himself. He's, he's saying this not only personally to himself, but to the Galatians. He voluntarily did this. This was out of, no one was coercing him. He wanted to do this. And he did it for our sins. He did it for our legalistic spirit or for our rebellious spirit or whatever. He, he died for that. And he did it for our sins. And that's a language, a switching language. He, he took our place and so that we could take his place. And then Jesus said, I'll give my life for yours. Uh, your sin now becomes mine in my life. My righteousness becomes yours. Theologians call this substitutionary atonement. It's the heart of the gospel. And it's actually the baseline of every good story on Netflix, Hulu, wherever you watch. There's always some substitution happening there because substitution is the language of love. And the greatest story of all is this story, the gospel, because it is true. It is true love. He's done this for you. And he explains it like this, because he's delivered us from this present evil age. That's an interesting way of putting it. This is the only place in Galatians he uses this language. But this is a rescue mission. This is God rescuing us from this evil domain that we've been in. And he places us back into the era of Jesus in his domain, which we call the kingdom. And it's a rescue mission. Now, tomorrow is Labor Day, right? On Monday. And many of you may be going swimming, right? Hopefully you get out and do something fun, go to the beach or go to the pool. Let's say you go to, you're going swimming and you have some little ones with you and they're just learning how to swim. Now in the middle of the day, something horrible happens. Little Johnny is starting to sink in the water. What do you do? What do you do with little Johnny? You run up to the edge of the water and go, all right, little Johnny, let me show you how to, how to swim. You can doggy paddle like this. Come on, little Johnny, you can do it, you can do it. You don't coach him. You wouldn't do that, would you? What about give him a pep talk? Little Johnny, you got it. You got everything inside of you. You can do it. God has put the potential inside of you and you can do it. Johnny, just dig deep. No, you don't do that, little Johnny. You jump in the water and you rescue. You, him, and you put him on dry land. You see, little Johnny was saved and delivered without permission. <laughs> he jumped in the water and he rescued him. And that's what Jesus has done with us. Because Jesus not only is strong enough to do it, but he wants to do it. He's enough. He's enough. 
And when we believe that, then we'll begin to believe that in him, we too are enough. And that's the last verse in our, in our section. And that's verse 10. Paul says this, he says, am I now trying to seek the approval of man or God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So Paul here had been accused of being a people pleaser or a man of fear of man. And, but he is saying, no, 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 I just called everybody out. There is no fear of man in me anymore. I had the full approval of the Father. I love you, but I'm gonna speak the truth to you. And so he is liberated and he says that Jesus is enough for him. I just wanna tell you that this has been one of my biggest struggles. I didn't realize it until recently. The fear of man, what a terrible thing. Not to say that we shouldn't make people happy, but if, when it becomes the first place above God, then it, we get enslaved to it. I've been there. You would think that 10 years serving in Peru as a missionary, I would come back thinking rightly about the gospel, but I came back thinking this way, God, you owe me. I wanna move to my home state and live in the capital city there. And so why don't you do that for me, God? And he said, no, Alan, I don't have, that's, not the, that's not what I have planned for you. I said, okay, all right, so if it's not there, I'm gonna choose a harder city, a bigger city. I wanna go to the city of Miami. So I took my family down to Miami. It's like, God, you owe me, right? This is, you've trained me for this 10 years. Hablo español, yo puedo hablar, tengo más predicas en español que inglés. It's like I preach more sermons in Spanish than English. I get down there, plant a church, and the wheels of that car come off. And let me tell you that I didn't realize that I not only went down there with the legalistic spirit, I also went down there with the fear of man. Because there was one guy back in my home state who said I could never do that, and I wanted to prove that guy wrong. And there was another guy in my life who picked me and trained me to go to Miami, and I want to prove that guy right. I was like, whoa, I didn't realize I had this. I'm 40 years old. I'm now just rediscovering, I'm discovering that this fear of man is pretty a big deal for me. It's brought me down this far. But let me tell you, when the wheels came off, I was rescued. I was rescued because a coach of mine said this. He said, Alan, no matter, even if you fail at everything, even if you displease everyone everywhere, your father still loves you and is pleased with you. And I began to open the vents of my heart back up and the love of God started coming in and I felt free. I felt free from this burden I put on my own shoulders about planting this church. And the, God just threw that whole burden into the Atlantic Ocean. What about you? Do you struggle with the fear of man? Do you struggle with the legalistic spirit? When was the last time you heard the gospel as good news to your heart? When we align our hearts with the heart of Christ and we make it central, a lot of people say, something happens. It opens up the vents to let the love of God blow in. And when it blows in, you will feel free. You will feel free from all slavery and addictions. You'll feel free from guilt and shame. You'll feel free to live as true sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. Our, so in conclusion, I want to ask you the question, have you, 
How long have the vents of your heart been closed? Have they been closed? And I'm going to give you a process of how individuals and churches lose the gospel. D.A. Carson years ago had this, this, these four generations. He said the church doesn't lose a gospel overnight, neither does a person. But it happens, it drifts in four generations. The first is this, is that the gospel is received. And that's the, that's the responsibility of every generation, to receive the good news. The second is the gospel is assumed. It's believed, but it's no longer central. And the third is this, the gospel is then confused. Weird things start coming in. And then fourth, the gospel is lost. The gospel is lost. Our biggest danger here is assuming the gospel. When we say things like, of course, grace, but let's get on to the more important things. Yes, we need to believe in the gospel, but then as you become a follower of Jesus, you gotta get to the more important things. You move past the gospel. That's assuming the gospel. So I wanna ask you one final question. What is my relationship with the gospel of Jesus Christ? Where are you right now with the gospel? Ask if the Spirit has opened up the vents of your heart. Have you really heard the gospel as good news to you? So I'm gonna give you a moment in silence to ask that before God. And if you find that you're not number one, come home. Open up those hearts those vents of your heart again. Thank you, Father, for giving us your Son who rescued us even when we didn't realize we needed rescuing. So Father, I pray now that you would awaken us to the good news of Jesus Christ, that we would begin to feel the warmth of your love again, that it would begin to thaw, that we would begin to act like true sons and daughters of Jesus, that we wouldn't turn away like Lee did, but we would relate to you as true sons and daughters, that we would be free. Thank you, Father. The gospel is true. Thank you for everyone here. Tune in online today and here in this room. Thank you for their lives. I pray your blessing upon them in Jesus' name.